0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So we are this summer in a series that we are calling um, Questions That I've Always Wanted to Ask God. And yes, high schoolers, I forgot again. High schoolers may be dismissed to their class. Um, it's a series that we're looking at, all just the questions that people have. Questions about faith, questions about God. And not just questions that believers have, but but unbelievers as well, and so we solicited all these questions from you and from your friends and online, and uh, so each week we've been trying to take some time to address um, each of these questions, and and they're, they're, like I've said every week, these questions are so much bigger than we can possibly cover, Um, and certainly this morning's question, uh, this morning's question is, what will happen when I die? And, and that's a huge, huge question, and we certainly don't have time to go through all of the answer to that question this morning, and in fact, it probably raises a whole other raft of questions for you on that, but we're going to do our best to, uh, to address this particular issue. Um, what happens when I die? And I was thinking about it, and I, was, I heard a story about um, two guys, avid, avid baseball fans, just, you know, just love baseball, and they had this ongoing argument all of their lives, like, will there be baseball in heaven? Because, I mean, baseball is such a wonderful game, there's just got to be baseball in heaven. So th- they had this argument about whether or not baseball would be in heaven. And so they kind of made this pact. And they said, okay, whichever one of us dies first, we will make every effort to, to come back and let the other one know, you know, just so we can know. And so sure enough, eventually one of them died. Um, and that night appeared in a dream to his friend. And he said, I have some good news and some bad news. The good news is, yes, there is baseball in heaven. The bad news is, you're pitching tomorrow. <laughs> oh, I know. Why would that be bad news? I mean, really, if you think about it, why would that be bad news? I mean, we, we, all, we all are looking forward to, we all want to, I mean, people, everybody wants to be in heaven, just none of us are in a particular hurry, hurry to get there. <laughs> and yet, some of it, I think, has to do with not understanding it's hard for us to fathom because we are so consumed with this life and reality is the things that we can interact with, with our five senses and to think of a, of a world beyond this that, that, that is just so nebulous that we don't understand, that doesn't seem to make sense and, and, and so we just kind of wonder, so what's it all about? And that's where this kind of question comes from. Um, everybody believes that heaven would be the preferable option um, but what does it look like? What this is all about? We believe in the afterlife. What is it? that we're looking forward to. So that's what today's question is all about. Um, what will happen when I die? And this is a real important question. It's a very important question because every one of us in this room someday will die. <laughs> Last time I looked, the mortality rate was 100% for human beings. So someday it's gonna, all of us are gonna be faced with this. So it's an important question. And it's an important question in this life so that we know about the next and are prepared and so this morning, um, first of all, I want to say off, off the top, I'm deeply indebted to Tim, Timothy Keller's book, The Reason for God, and then also a series of talks that I heard um, by John Ortberg, very, very helpful for me in wrestling with this issue, because it's a huge one. Um, so this morning, we're going to talk about what happens when I die, and I want to start right here, and it's this. We have all been created as eternal beings, each and every one of us are created as eternal beings. You have a soul. You and I have a soul. We've been created with a soul. And part of that soul is this longing for home, this desire for eternity, this, 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 this sense that things, and, and the events of this week remind us, things in this world are not the way they're supposed to be. Things are not as they should be. And we have this longing for that better place when things will be made right. When justice will reign and and love and mercy will be dispensed. And and, and this will all be made right. And where that comes from is that God has placed that in each and every one of us. Scripture tells us God has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. To end, We were created in the image of God. But because we are so caught up in this world, we don't think much about it. We really don't give it much serious thought. We just get caught up in our daily lives. And very often, I think some of our problem is that when we think about heaven and hell and the afterlife, we have such wrong-headed thinking. We've got just weird concepts about it. It's very often when, when I talk with people... Because um, people will ask me questions like, you know, well, pastor, is this a sin? You know, and then they want to know, well, if it's a sin, how much can I do and still get into heaven? You know, and that's usually the case. That's when people are asking that question. That's the kind of thing that they're asking. Okay, so if I live my life, how, how much can I live my life this way and still get into heaven? And, and, and it's kind of because we think we think of heaven in terms of who's in and who's out. You know, who gets in, who gets out? Who gets the entry ticket? Who gets the door slammed in their face? And and that's really what we want to know. And that's about all we really care about when it comes to heaven. And it's just wrong-headed thinking. Because when we say that, what we're really saying is, what are the minimum entry requirements? What's the very least that I have to do to be able to get into heaven. And that's so wrongheaded. It would be like on my wedding day, standing with my wife, exchanging our vows, and asking her, what is the least possible amount of faithfulness you need from me for us to say married? <laughs> you know, what's the minimum amount of household chores that I have to do? You know, what what's the minimum level of attention that I need to give you and still be married to you? Now, when you put it like that, it's like, that's just so wrong-headed thinking. But that's the way we think about heaven. That's the way we think about the afterlife. What's the bare minimum? What we're looking for is an entry ticket. Who's in? Who's out? Did I get a ticket? And, 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 and we tell jokes like this. You know, St. Peter he's always at the pearly gates. And it's like St. It's like Peter is a celestial hall monitor, you know? Do you have a hall pass? Sorry, you don't get in, you know. It's like he stands at the gate and he's taking people's tickets. And if you don't have the ticket, you don't get in. And that, that just, that's just so wrong when we're talking about heaven because it's not like that at all. And what we need, we don't need an entry ticket. We don't need a hall pass. What we need, what we need is to be transformed to be the kinds of people for which heaven would be a natural environment. That's what we really need. We need to be in the, same way, in the same way that a tadpole needs to go through a metamorphosis so that it could survive on land as a frog. That transformation that needs to take place because a frog cannot exist underwater and a tadpole by itself could not exist on land. There is a transformation that needs to happen for one to live from this life into that next life. And it's that kind of transformation that we need. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. And that's why throughout Scripture, you read things like this. Rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Not so that we would be better people necessarily, but so that we would be so transformed in our hearts... That heaven would be the most natural place for us to ever, exp- ever spend our eternity. Timothy Keller talks about it like this. That our lives, all of our lives, each of our lives, because we have this soul. See, this, this soul is in the process of becoming. Becoming. Your soul is in the process of becoming someone. And the choices and the behaviors and the actions that you take part in, the things that you feed your mind, all of those things are shaping your soul, shaping your character. And we are on this trajectory. And either that trajectory of our life is toward God or away from God. And all of us are on some sort of trajectory. And so when we talk about this transformation process, it's not just so we would be better people and like people would like us. It's so that we would become more and more conformed into the image of Christ, more and more conformed into the image of our creator God, so that heaven would be the most natural place for us to live for eternity. That's the kind of thing he's talking about. He's not, he's not, again, he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. He says, don't think about heaven in terms of pearly gates and gold and silver and halos and harps and all that kind of stuff. He says, think of your mind in a different direction. This is your eternity. This is your home. Think about your home in such a way that it changes your life here on earth. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God and put on that new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. See, this is not something, this transformation is not something we can do on our own. We are being shaped into the image of our creator. It is because of what Christ has done for us. This is not about, and I want to be really, really clear about this, this is not about earning your way into heaven because we cannot do that. It's being transformed into a nature for which heaven would be natural. And that's why Paul writes, this is the secret. Christ in you brings hope of all the great things to come. See, what we need is someone to change our hearts. What we need is someone to shape our souls. We don't need an entry pass. We need transformation. And because we cannot do that in our own strength, we need someone else. And that's why Christ in you is that hope of glory. Because we are eternal people, created in the image of God. Second thing to understand, and this is important as well, that heaven and hell are eternal realities. They are real. These are not cartoonish notions that we carry in our minds so often. You know, and we do that. Again, you know, and uh, earlier this summer, um, we took a, a couple days, took a vacation, went to Kauai, one of the most beautiful places on this earth. And, and, some, and I remember sitting there and thinking, you know, this must be what heaven is like. It is the most beautiful place I could have ever been in my life. You know, it's just it's gorgeous. It's warm. It's sunny. It's just everybody's happy. You know, this is, and, you know, and, and we say things like this. Heaven must be just like Kauai, you know. And, and, and whatever our favorite thing is that's what it is you know for some of us heaven has got to be an eternal Hawaii for some of us heaven is an eternal Disneyland for some of us heaven is an eternal In-N-Out Burger you know it's, it's whatever our favorite thing is you know, that, that, that's for Pastor Larry okay I just threw that in there you know whatever our favorite thing is it's like that that's what heaven's got to be it's got to be if this is what i like then this is what heaven's got to be and discussions about whether there's baseball or in and out or all those other things but but the thing is it's not it's it's more than that it's it's more real than that we have some of these cartoonish ideas um, Gary Larson in the far side you know comic strip You know, hell hell is always, you know, pitchforks and flames and torture chambers and and heaven is halos, clouds and and harps, you know. And I don't know about you, but I have no desire ever to learn to play the harp. And even if I learned how to play the harp, I don't think I would want to be strumming it for eternity, you know. But when we think in those terms, we just have this cartoonish notion of heaven. C.S. Lewis wrote about that. He said, he says, there's no need to be worried about facetious people who try to make the Christian hope of heaven ridiculous by saying they do not want to spend eternity playing harps. The answer to such people is that if they cannot understand books written for grown-ups, they should not talk about them. <laughs> All scriptural imagery, harps, crowns, gold, and so on, is, of course, merely symbolical attempt to express the inexpressible. People who take these symbols literally might as well think that when Christ told us to be like doves, he meant we were supposed to lay eggs. (laughs) It's imagery because what the scripture writers are trying to do is convey something that cannot be conveyed. And so they use imagery, things that we might be able to relate to, to kind of give a picture of what this place would be like. Pearly gates and streets of gold and all that kind of stuff. It's imagery. It's imagery. Now, though Scripture uses imagery to describe something that cannot be described, which is what's going on there, that does not mean that heaven and hell are imaginary. Okay? Okay. He's just trying to put into our context something that we could not possibly understand. These are very, very real things. And Jesus took the ideas of heaven and hell very, very seriously. You may not know this, but Jesus talked more about these things than anyone else in all of Scripture. Talked more about them than anything else in all of Scripture. Because He wants us to understand as best we can in this world. See, ultimately, and this is where the trajectory idea is all, comes into play. Ultimately, heaven is a life with God. That, that is the ultimate description of what it is. God who is the source of all light, the source of all love, the source of all joy, the source of all good things. See, heaven is, is an existence in a community in which all of those things are finally and fully fulfilled. Imagine, imagine a society, imagine a community in which there is love with no hint of jealousy whatsoever. Where there is joy with no envy that somebody else has more than me, that somebody else is happier than me. Imagine abundance without self-indulgence. you imagine all those good things with, with the, the, the dark side of all of them completely removed. So we are fully enjoying a life fulfilled without pridefulness. See, that's that's the picture of heaven. And that's why that trajectory of our lives is so important because we we are becoming, through Christ, the kinds of people to which that kind of life would be appealing and natural. And, of course, that means that hell is the exact opposite of that. Hell is utter isolation. Because there is no love. Because God is not there. See, these are descriptions that Jesus used. First, let me give you the the Revelation 21. I I missed this one. Um, This is the the revelation that John had about heaven. At the end of Revelation 21, he says, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. It's that God with us life. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. It's all of those good things without the bad side of them. And of course, hell is the opposite of that. And so Jesus, Jesus used descriptions like this. Um, he talked about the, the wicked servant. And he says, Now cast him out into our outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not just darkness, but outer darkness. Why outer darkness? Because it's where God is not. God, who is the source of all light, is not there. And we'll never be there. It is outer, outer darkness. That there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I used to think about that. I used to think that 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 gnashing of teeth was kind of the the grinding of your teeth in regret. Like, "Mm, I wish I'd made a different choice. Mm, I wish, I just wish I had done something differently. But I don't think that so much anymore. One of the things that kind of opened my eyes on this was, um, actually, my dentist has me now wearing a mouth guard at night because I grind my teeth. And I don't grind my teeth in regret. I grind my teeth in stress and tension. (laughs) And I think that gnashing of teeth is more that, that I got to get that or I got I to, gotta, you know, it's, it's that it's that frustration. It's that tension. It's that stress. It's that anger. It's that it's all of those things that wanting something that I cannot possibly have, but knowing when even if I got it fulfilled, it would not be fulfilling. I think that's the picture of, of this gnashing of teeth idea. It's not so much that we are in regret for what, the chance that we once had. It's that we are constantly pursuing what we cannot f- ever find. And we are happy in the pursuit and yet miserable at the same time. It is a place of isolation. And I say that because I got friends sometimes and they say really stupid things like, well, you know, hey, if I go to hell, I'm going to be there with a lot of my friends. And you just need to understand, no, you won't. No, you won't. Because there will be no Friendships. Because God, who is a source of love and relationship and friendship, is not there. And so it's a constant striving against one another. A constant pushing for and trying to get mine. It is my appetites and my addictions and my obsessions fully released, not tempered by any thought of anybody else, not tempered by any means of love or caring about anybody else. It is self-absorption to the nth degree. You will have no friends there. Because there's no friendship there. And, and Jesus talked about these things not to scare us. I, I mean, if you know me, I am not a hellfire and brimstone preacher by any stretch of the imagination. I, I believe in God's grace. I believe that message of good news. I, I preach it. I teach it. I, I want people to see not so much what you're trying to get away from, but what God has for you. I mean, that, but, but Jesus talked about this because he wants us to know this is a reality. And we need to take it seriously. And all of these things, one of the best pictures of that that trajectory on into infinity is um, how many have read the the trilogy, the Lord of the Rings books or or saw the movie? Okay, there is a character. There is a character in that book, um, in that whole series of books called Gollum. Gollum once was a person. But he has become obsessed with this ring, his precious, he calls it. And he is constantly pursuing. He has lost his precious. And all of his life is to get his precious back. And he is so obsessed with this and so, so caught up in this and so focused on this one thing, never having it, constantly pursuing it. And even when he gets it, he can't keep it on his finger because he has become so misshapen and so deformed that he is no longer recognizable as a person anymore. He is something else altogether. And I think that is the picture of hell. To be totally obsessed with something and never be satisfied. And to be so obsessed and so, so pursuant of that thing that I ceased to be what I once was. Heaven, on the other hand, is the fulfillment of all of what it means to be human. To fully become myself, the way God designed me to be. Now you say, well, okay, if that's the case, then why did God design hell? You know, why, why does he send people to hell? And that's a really important question, too. And I think there's a little bit of a key that we understand, again, in one of Jesus' teachings on this. And he talks about the, the, um, the separating of the sheep and the goats. And, and those who were going to enter the promised kingdom and those who are not. And he says to those who are going to enter into the heaven, Come take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then he turns to those others and he says, Now depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Did you catch the difference there? See, the difference is enter into that which was created, which was prepared for you from the creation of the world. That is your destiny. That is what we were created for. Heaven is what we were created for, fully realized. And to those who he says to depart from me, not to the hell I created for you, it's to that place that I prepared for the devil and his angels. That was never intended to be our final destination. Our Final destination was to be with God. And God's answer to the rebellion and sin of the evil one and all who will pursue that trajectory will end up in where they set their mind and their heart. God didn't prepare Hell, for us. Prepared it for the, the devil and his angels. But there is a place at which there will be a dividing time. And that goes to the third thing when it comes to eternity. That we, this is all important because we need to understand eternal destinies are what is at stake. That's why Jesus talks so much about these things. Because he doesn't want anybody to end up in hell. It's why He came and lived His life among us. It's why He gave His life on a cross for us. Because He does not want, God does not want anyone to end up in hell. Scripture tells us that. The Lord is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He warns us, not so that we would live in constant fear, but so that we would know the realities of this trajectory that we take for our lives. And and He does that in the same way that you would if you have a loved one or a friend who who you see going on in self-destructive behavior, someone caught in an addiction, drug addiction or alcoholism or, or maybe cutting themselves, you would ring the warning bell as loud as you could. You would come to them and say, I hate to see you do this to yourself. And that's why Jesus spoke about this. Because his desire is that none, none end up there. The trajectory away from God leads somewhere. But it's important to understand that it is a path of our own choosing. God does not send anyone to hell. Hell is the result and the destination of sin-addicted people who need rescue. Tim Keller did it beautifully. I want to read to you. He says, People inevitably think that hell works like this god gives us time but if we haven't made the right choice by the end of our lives he casts our souls into hell for all eternity and as the poor souls fall through space they cry out for mercy but god says too late you had your chance now you will suffer this caricature misunderstands the very nature of evil The biblical picture is that sin separates us from the presence of God, which is the source of all joy and indeed of all love, wisdom, and good things of any sort. Since we were originally created for God's immediate presence, only before His face will we thrive, flourish, and achieve our highest potential. If we were to lose His presence totally, that would be hell. The loss of our capability for giving or receiving love or joy. Hell, then, is the trajectory of a soul living a self-absorbed, self-centered life going on and on forever. In short, hell is simply one's freely chosen identity apart from God on a trajectory into infinity. We see this process written small in addictions to drugs, alcohol, gambling, and pornography. In eternity, the disintegration goes on forever. Forever where there is increasing isolation, denial, delusion, and self-absorption. When you lose all humility and humanity, you are out of touch with reality. No one ever asks to leave hell. The very idea of heaven seems to them to be a sham. Quote C.S. Lewis, It is not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. That trajectory of our life leads somewhere. And as C.S. Lewis talked about it, people who are on that trajectory, even once they arrive in hell, do not want to be in heaven because they are not the sort of people that have been transformed to be able to live in such a place. They would be like tadpoles stranded on the seashore. It would not be alive. These are realities. And eventually we need to understand. It is eternal destinies that are at stake. What we need. What we need is not an entry pass into heaven. What we need is someone to change our lives. To change and transform our hearts. Because we are like people who are caught up in the current of a rain swollen storm soaked river rushing headlong to the cliff and we need rescue and we can't be rescued by somebody else who's also being swept along in that current we need someone from outside to rescue us someone who is strong enough to not be caught up in the current someone who can reach out with a hand and grab us when we can't even grab his and pull us to safety and that's what jesus christ did See, that's what Christians believe. Not that we are any better than any other person, but that we are desperately in need of rescue and somebody grabbed our hand and pulled us out of the river. And because of that, we have no right to judge anybody else's eternal destiny because we don't know. I don't know anybody else's eternal destiny. You do not know anybody else's. And it is not our job to judge somebody else's eternity. It is our job to let them know there is a rescuer who can pull them from the river. That is our job. And that's why we exist as a church. Not to sing songs, not to speak and give messages, not to have programs for the family and for our kids. We exist to be in the rescuing operation of Jesus Christ. And our job is not done if there are people still stuck in that river heading to a destruction. Because what Jesus did, what Jesus did was he entered into that river and he was strong enough to not be swept by the current. And he went over the cliff for you and for me so that we could be rescued. He paid the ultimate price. You see, there is no one that hates the idea of hell more than God. There is no one who has been willing to pay such a high price to make it not happen. There is no one who has been willing to suffer so much that we would not than Jesus Christ. And He is our only rescue. He is our only hope. And that's what Christians believe. Not that we've earned something with God. Not that we're doing a real good job of cleaning up our lives. But that someone reached down and grabbed hold of my hand when I could barely grab it. But in my weakest and feeblest attempts, wrapped on and though sometimes it's hard for me (laughs) he doesn't let go he doesn't let go and that is the good news that's the gospel it's why we exist as a church because eternal destinies are at stake would you bow your heads with me